Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of If My Feet Could Talk. I'm your host, Owen, also known as the Ultra Running Matlow. Um, so there's little to catch up, really, with me um, since the last episode, which was an awesome episode, uh, by the way. And thanks to everyone out there who's watched or listened to this podcast uh, via all the uh, various means, whether it's Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, all that sort of stuff, and even watching it on YouTube, it is really truly uh, appreciated. And I received so much feedback on the last um, episode; it's been really great. Uh, myself and Lee uh, thoroughly enjoyed um, making that one. But uh, back to catching up with me. Well, I'm on day 919 today. Uh, I ran earlier today with Oppo and my putts. Um, so I'm starting to plan the big 1,000th day of running uh, every day. Um, so if you fancy joining me in person or um, joining me virtually, uh, keep an eye out for that uh, information. Uh, we'll start to... Um, flow out as I start planning it um, it's a really big one uh, especially as I've never really planned on going this long I mean I, I, just, I still take each day as it comes so um, the thousandth day is my first comma um, so it's yeah it's definitely worth celebrating so that brings us on now let's get into it into the, the next episode or I should say this episode really um, my guest is quite local to me actually um he's well known within the local running community and um across the wider national uh running community um he's a former international athlete he's a race director a coach a running guide amongst many of his various roles and guises that he has um and he's kindly accepted to come on this podcast um so Everyone, I give you Carrie Reese. So, hello, and uh, welcome to If My Feet Can Talk um, with Kerry. Um, how are you doing? Hi, Owen. I'm good, thanks. Yeah, just had a lovely day with the family today, so it's a nice, rare bit of time with the family. Oh, what 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 have you been up to? What have you been doing? Uh, we <clears throat> we went out um, to Dartington, uh, met, met up with some friends. Um, I won't say it was very relaxing. Two young kids running in opposite directions the whole time, spinning plates. You know what it's like. How, how, how old are your kids now? Uh, two and a half and five and a half. I, so, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Two-year-olds two learning to um, accelerate already from like one, not to 10 miles an hour in about, like half a second um and the five-year-old uh you turn your back and she's gone so i i i sort of do miss that point but i also don't miss that point i quite like having a 11 year old is quite independent now i don't have to worry too much about that (laughs) side of things um yeah i'm looking forward to that so uh kerry for those that i don't know who, who wouldn't know you but for those that don't know you uh that are listening and watching this can you just give a little brief on who you are and what you do. I'm sure there's lots of people who don't know me. Um, so I'm uh, my name's Kerry. Um, I, I I don't really know where to start, but I um, 
I, I run a business called Wild Running, um, which uh, I set up about 10 years ago. Um, and it's played a fairly major part in my recent life. Uh, as, as anyone who's got their own business would know, it slightly, slightly takes over, um, regardless of whether you've got a family or not. Um, but that started life out as a social enterprise, um, taking unemployed people out running. And then it grew into other things. Um, and, and I now organize events um, and I do a little bit of uh, mainly online coaching. I do a little bit of navigation and um, I do running camps. So the running camps are, are probably the, the mainstay of what I do. OK, I mean, you just touched your running counselor. What exactly do you mean by running counselor? Oh, sorry, camps, running oh, camps. camps. All right. OK. Well, maybe you can start up as a running counsellor as well while you're at it. That's a new <laughs> thing for you. Um, so that's, that's that's great. So where did you where were you born? Where did you grow up? So um, I'm I'm from Newcastle. Uh, you might not be able to tell. Uh, so no, all over the place since those days. But um, it comes out when I'm feeling passionate, or if I've had a bit to drink, usually, or um, if, if 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 I'm um, uh, feeling um the adrenaline's up for whatever reason uh but yeah so uh, newcastle um i lived there till i was 18 um and then and then left and, and went back uh, about 22 years old to work on a newspaper and and to play a bit of rugby um and then left again and i haven't been back i haven't been back to live there since i mean like me you you, you probably couldn't tell i'm i'm welsh but I definitely couldn't tell you're, you're Geordie. <laughs> yeah, people sound disappointed. Um, where are you from, Newcastle? What? Oh, really? Go on, do us a Geordie accent. And yeah, um, I suppose I've got more in common with Sting. I've got a slightly watered down uh, Geordie accent, but it does come out. It comes out, um, as I say, when, 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 when the blood is high or, yeah. the, or, or the adrenaline's high, or if, especially if I'm speaking to my brother on the phone. Because you know, with with your with your name and your surname, I I when I first obviously when I first come across you, I thought you were Welsh to start with, because it's uh, well well I, well I am I'm I'm quarter Welsh I suppose my my dad's uh, Welsh my grand granddad was Welsh so that 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 side of the family ah, so, so you do it, yeah yeah he's from Pembrokeshire he's a ten ten B man so you, uh, right, he, so you, so you do have a have a Welsh heritage in there then that's, oh yeah that's cool yeah. um. So obviously, when you were growing up in 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 the tune, um, did you did you do much sports? Were you were you a sporty child? Yeah, very sporty child. We're a sporty family. So um, I went to a, a comprehensive school where I was very lucky. Well, first of all, I went to a secondary school where I was very lucky. I had very good sports teachers there. Um, so I was I was really into football. I was really into rugby. Um, you know, rugby was outside of school time. I played on a Sunday at a local club called Northern. Uh, with my brother um, and then I played for Warzend Boys, Newcastle Boys when I was younger um, and then um, and then running came along, I had a very good French teacher who also ran a cross-country team and she was so enthusiastic, she was called Mrs Smith and everybody wanted to be on the cross-country team. Um, it was a cool thing to be on the cross-country team because Mrs Smith was in charge. Was, and, you, was, uh, was she an attractive, was she an attractive uh, school teacher by any <laughs> Looking back, uh, probably not. Um, that wasn't the motive, uh, uh, but I can see why you asked the question. Yeah, it was a pretty weird sport to get into in, in, at that age in your formative years. Um, 
but yeah, but I but I juggled sports for years and probably up until the age of about 17, I played rugby on a on a Sunday and I did running races on a Saturday. Um and then um and, and later on I even played a bit of hockey as well. So yeah, did, did a lot of sports, but my sister was sporty. She did pentathlon, um, but not not very she wasn't very competitive, um, but she was very talented. And my brother, who obviously was a he was a uh, I don't know if you know, but he was a, a professional rugby player, he played for England. So he, you know, he he was always a rugby player, but he was also a very good football player as well. So obviously you mentioned you got a sporty brother and um sister. Was was your uh, anyone of your your elders quite sporty and did they inspire you th- through sport? Um do you do you mean in my family or, yeah, or in your family? Yeah, so my siblings. So um yeah, Katie, we were a similar age. Uh, she was exactly a year older than me. So I, I suppose I was quite inspired by my sister. I wanted to do what she did. Um, and she did everything. You know, she did pentathlon, triathlon, um, you know, middle distance sprint. She was good. She was good at pretty much everything she tried. Uh, but as I say, she wasn't very competitive. Um, so as soon as she got to the age where, um, you know, she discovered other things, she stopped. Um, but me and my brother were always fiercely competitive. Um, uh, we'd spend a lot of time in each other's company um, and invent games, um, you know, with a football or a rugby ball. Uh, and we'd go and watch my dad play rugby. And I realised now, looking back, that there were long hours of boredom where we'd have to watch my dad play rugby for a veterans team, which wasn't very exciting. So we'd take ourselves off into the woods with a rugby ball and invent games. And I think that was probably the basis of uh, where we got our sort of competitiveness from and also our, our sort of playfulness from. That's, that's cool. And, and I take it because obviously you got the Welsh side of your family and your brother playing for England. There was a, there's a bit of friction there when it came to the Six Nations. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, to this day, I still get confused. Uh, when I watch England and I watch Wales, uh, I, I want both to win. Yeah. Uh, and my dad's even more conflicted. I mean, when my brother played against Wales in the Six Nations, he sang the Welsh National Anthem and wanted Wales to win. But my brother scored two tries against Wales. And he was probably proud as punch as well. Of course he was, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he got ribs. I mean, most of his rugby mates were probably Welsh. Like yeah. his schoolmates, you know, his, his old yeah. mates. The old mates that you keep in touch with were all Welsh. So, obviously, there was a bit of ribbing going on there. <laughs> it happened. Um, but obviously, we've got, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned he used to play rugby. So, um, when you dabbled in rugby, where did you, where did you play as in position-wise? What was... Uh, so similar to my brother, I had a bit of leg speed when I was younger. Um, so I used to play on the wing, um, but, uh, but I also played fullback um, uh, and fly half. So I, I played fly half quite a lot for Northern, which was the, the same team as my brother. But um, I, I wasn't especially good at kicking. I certainly wasn't Johnny Wilkinson, that's for sure. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, so latterly I ended up playing on the wing. But I lost a lot of my speed when I, when I started running long distance. I was I was a winger myself back in back in the days of Colts. Um, until oh, I, yeah, until I had a, um, a a career ending. Well, I would say rugby career, but I, who knows where I could have gone. But I had an injury that took two years of surgery, and I never played again afterwards. So, oh, um, where did you play? Um, I played for Redruth down in Cornwall. Okay. So all, all the way up from under fourteens to Colts. Um, and then I snapped and broke my ankle, dislocated it in 90, 
90 degrees and bones sticking out my skin. Oh, and, nasty. Yeah, yeah, it was during summer training as well. I wasn't even during a game, so I was disappointed. Um, but it happens. You got injured yourself. What happened to you? Uh, with the rugby, so... Um... So I, I had a bit of funny. So I, uh, I went, I went rugby to running, uh, to to rugby, back to running again as an adult. So um, I quit. I stopped playing rugby at seventeen when I won when I won the uh, national junior cross country, and I and I decided to go to Loughborough University and do athletics there. So I think that was when I realised I was going to really give it a shot at athletics. Um, but then didn't quite make the grade. Um, Went back to rugby at age 23 because I enjoyed the the, the argy bargy of rugby, to be honest. Um, and um, and then I played probably till about 30, early 30s, maybe mid 30s. Um, uh, so um, yeah, so I played for Northern. I played for like North Division One. I played Basingstoke Division Division One South. I think same as Red Ruth. I think at one point. Um, and then um, and then I played for a team in Paris um, called Vincennes. And I played for Madrid, uh, Complutense University in Madrid. And they were in the Spanish Premiership, but we were the worst team. We got stuff <laughs> every game. So, and we had this Kiwi coach who was, um, you know, he's from one of the top Kiwi cl uh, clubs. I think he's from somewhere like Queensland or somewhere. And uh, he, he couldn't understand why we kept losing. Uh, and it, it was quite straightforward. It's because we didn't train enough. Um, but he, um, he, he got a team psychologist in and it, it, none of it worked. Um, we used to get beaten every game but it, it was kind of interesting because uh we played on these bone hard pitches out in madrid and 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 after every game you need a skin graft you know you had no skin left on your on your on your legs it was painful and you couldn't sleep wow <laughs> yeah um no, i oh, but you're sorry you asked about in you asked about injury i forgot um sorry i totally got off the subject um yeah i got a crunch tackled in a in a game and i lost the feeling in my legs and I couldn't move my neck for like two days and I was it just put the wind up me to be honest because I was at that age I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna get any better at rugby um and I just thought it's not worth it anymore I played I'm 35 years old or something so I just um I quit there and then and decided to, to get back into running oh so where when did you decide you know what I'm gonna start hitting the running hard and I'm gonna enter my big first race when was that, and what was your big first big race? Um, well, I, I, as a junior, I was I was I was always winning races. Um, so I'd, I'd win in most of the local races that I entered, um, uh, and I won the uh, the British School Cross Country when I was as a twelve year old, a year young against boys a year older. Um, and then um, so I so I got a couple of sort of junior internationals, and I got an England under twenty one international when I won the. National cross country and also won the English schools cross country the year after, so I got I got into the British endurance squad as a result of that, um, but never quite made the transition. I was always injured at university, and I think I just. Um, but your question was, um, uh, when was my first big race? So then, then I basically quit quite quite young at twenty three because um, I was sort of just fed up with being injured, and I decided if I wasn't going to make it by the time I finished university, you know, a top university like Loughborough then, you know, when was I? So I thought, okay, I've given it my shot. Let's do something else now. Um, <clears throat> and um, I went back to, uh, went back to running at quite a late stage in life, probably 35. And it's more by accident really than design. I just I was on living on the edge of Dartmoor and I'd catch a train over to Dartmoor. I didn't have a car at the time and just end up running for a long way and realized I, I really enjoyed it. And I entered a race and, and ended up, um, 
uh, coming second, I think it was the Totnes 10K, and I came second in that without very much training at all. Um, and so I thought, oh, maybe I should. I, mean, I was quite old at the time, 35, 36, but oh yeah, I'm still enjoy this. Still got the competitive buzz. Let's uh, let's see what we do do with it. But it was more because running by then had taken a different uh, uh, type of um, enjoyment for me. It was more of a sort of therapeutic thing, I suppose. So you mentioned um, you, you uh, got into the uh, the endurance team. Is that when you got your international vest? Uh, yeah, so did, so I, I got junior international vests, um, and um, I, as I say, I, ne- I never really did anything as a senior. I, I was um, I, I stopped I stopped running at twenty three, um, but I was part of the 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 endurance squad for a brief time, um, which. Um, uh, was usually me sitting on the uh, uh, in the margins uh, being injured, so <laughs> didn't do an awful lot. But um, uh, yeah, I, I run in quite a lot of big, not not big, but big big by um, the standard of the day, I suppose. Um, meetings uh, when I was at Loughborough, but I was spent more time being injured than I did um, racing. Um, so, uh, like somebody asked me the other day, what was my best marathon time, and I. <laughs> Um, which is quite strange to say that I don't actually have a best marathon time because I, I've never run a road marathon because um, I had cartilage taken out both my knees when I was when I was younger, probably because of the rugby. So I find it extremely hard to, to run on road. I can run on road, but um, I can't I can't run 26 miles on the road. So I don't I don't even have a PB for for, for the marathon, so. <laughs> which is probably my best distance. That brings me on to obviously my next point, because I remember coming across you watching um probably Channel 4, I think it was, because they, they showed the Snowdonia Road Marathon a few years ago, and you yeah. were leading, um, but then you you pulled out, you dropped out because you were injured or what have you. Is that is that the reason why? Because you're... you're, you're um, I think, I think um, it was the first time I ever tried to run that far on the road, and definitely my, my body wasn't liking it at all. Because you, um, you were, you had quite a lead on. I, I remember you were well in front of the guy who, who actually came on went from second to become first and then won it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I remember driving up to up to Wales and I think I just won the Kilda Marathon like two or three weeks before. And um, I was in pretty good shape, but um, uh, for one reason or another, I had a problem with my, um, uh, uh, I think it was my um, hip flexors. And um, I was putting ice packs, I was stopping on the way down, putting going into toilets and putting ice packs on my, uh on my thigh all the way down uh to wales and i kind of knew uh wasn't wasn't looking good uh just even to be on the start line but i'd driven so far i wasn't not going to run but i i knew i was going to struggle to get to the finish especially competitively so yeah that was it was a bit embarrassing because uh i had an old um uh mountaineering um guide who who i did my mountain leader course with up in Wales, and he said, oh, Kerry, I got my whole family out to watch you. He's going to finish. I said, Kerry's going to win by a mile. He's in the lead. He's going to win. And um, you didn't turn up. And I, <laughs> I got a lift back with it in an ambulance because of an ambulance following the race. And uh, I ended up getting lifted. Yeah, it was pretty embarrassing. But um, these things happen. Well, now I know what happened. Yeah. Um, you've Obviously, you mentioned you, you, you won the, the Kilda Marathon prior to that. You've won that a few times. You've won the Grizzly a, a few a few times, which is a, a, a quite a big local race down here. Um, often, obviously, 
um, ballot run, so people often miss out and stuff, and it's quite a tough, tough race. Amongst other things, so what would you say your the best achievement you've had in your running? Um, well, I'm, I'm fortunately to say it's probably when I was a junior. It's probably um, winning the, the national junior cross country. Um, if I'm honest, um, since then I've always all the races I've done, I've always felt like they were um, races that are well within my range, if you know what I mean, of, of winning um, with, with the amount of training that I that I did um, and have done subsequently. And, I, and, all, and likewise, I don't think I've ever really been able to enter the the large races that are fiercely competitive, you know, not, not a, I live such a long way from the Lake District to go all the way up there to do a fell race um, is, is, is a, is a big deal. Um, although I have done a couple. Um, and then likewise, the big international races like the UTMB and races like that, just, uh, just always been slightly out of my comfort zone for, for, in terms of what I'm willing to pay to do a race. And so I don't think as in the trail running world, which I suppose is what I do. I do trail races because I'm, you know, I'm too old to do track races. I'm too old to do road races uh, successfully. Um, yeah, the, to enter those kind of races, you, are, you need a sponsor. And I, I don't think I raced enough to get a sponsor. And I don't think I was widely known enough to get a sponsor. So um, that probably stopped me from making that, taking that next step. Yeah. So to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I really enjoy the Grizzly, but not so much winning the Grizzly, it's just, just taking part in the Grizzly, if I'm honest. Um, it's a great atmosphere. Um, it's, the, it's very challenging just to get to the finish because you've got so many different types of terrain and that, those you know, gravel beaches, pebbly beaches rather, that you have to run over. Um, you never know what's going to happen afterwards. You never know if you're going to not be able to get out of bed for a week because um, you're hobbling around because uh, it's nasty stuff to run on. Or you're going to feel absolutely fine the next day. You just never know. So thinking back back on it now, uh, on, on all you've done, do you have any regrets in, in regards to your, your, your sporting? Is there thinking about maybe if I did this, I, I, I could have done that? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't have any regrets. Um, I think I've had a colourful life and I think I've had a very rich and varied life sports wise. I feel very lucky. Um, I've done combined two sports that I loved. Both involved getting dirty, both involved rolling around in the mud um uh rugby which i played to a reasonable standard you know semi-professional standard not pro not professional standard um and um and uh you know cross-country um trail running mainly uh to a fairly high standard and and suck the marrow i suppose the only thing that i would have changed was i probably would have pushed more to try and get a sponsor so that i could get into some of the bigger races but um it's not really a regret because I've always done the thing. I've always followed my heart. Um, and so I've got, you can't have regrets if you follow your heart. And obviously you mentioned you, 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 you live on, live on Dartmoor now. Um, you, you probably know Dartmoor like the back of your hand now, don't you? I do, but I, I'm, I'm still capable of getting lost. Um, <laughs> you know, I did, I did a Dartmoor runners event today and um, I knew where I was going, but you know, you see some of the really good navigators. They, they come from an orienteering background. I don't come from an orienteering background. I come from a running background. And I learned to navigate laterally in life, you know. Uh, those guys, it's intuitive and it's second nature. 
for me, I, I just take longer to process. Um, so, you know, especially with running full tilt. Uh, but to answer your question, yeah, I, I, I feel confident you could put me on anywhere on Dartmoor and I'd not, I, I'd be able to find my way, you know, back or I'd be able to find my way to the next point. But when you're talking about competitively going at full tilt, I think I can still learn from, you know, the really good guys. Is there any part of Dartmoor you haven't yet been that you would like to tick off? Oh, you know what? I don't think there is. Um, I think that there's parts of northeastern Dartmoor, sort of around Cosden, um, that I haven't really run that much. The Stickle Path, I've not really run that much around there for whatever reason. Um, so, yeah, I think it's probably there. I know the south of Dartmoor really, really well. Um, uh, and then the northwest, I thought I knew really well. Um, until I started getting slightly obsessed with the Dartmoor 600s during lockdown. And I went up there time after time after time. And each time I found a quicker way. So I realized actually, you know, I think I improved my time by about an hour or something. I realized that, you know, in terms of route choice, I had a lot of improvement to, uh, uh, to, to do. I mean, Dartmoor's, if uh, anyone listens to this or watching, hasn't been on Dartmoor for a walk or a run. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful place uh, we have down here. I was up there this uh, yesterday and today, actually running with my dog. Um, the sun was out. It was, it was stunning. Bit of a bit of a chilly breeze, a bit of bite in the air. Oh yeah. It was quite chilly today, wasn't it? But it's that kind of light that when yeah. it's dry underfoot and it's light, it doesn't matter how cold it is. It's going to be uplifting when yeah, you get yeah. that quality of light. Um, and it's dry because it hasn't rained that much on Dartmoor. It's just perfect. I think Dartmoor's one of the best places to run when it's like that. I mean, we are very fortunate down here in the southwest to have some of the some some great trails to run on. Um, and as you said, you you know you were able to uh, run the six hundreds during during the lockdowns and stuff. It's on my doorstep. I was able to run to um, the you know the, the the very tip of it, you know, Robra Downs, and able to run from there all over. Yeah, so you you um you were in the army, weren't you? I'm in the navy. Oh, the navy. So yeah. oh, that's, that's like the worst thing you can say, isn't it? So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. Uh, we often get get called the army uh, in the media. So you must have done. Did you do a bit of your training on Dartmoor then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do a tiny. The navy does very little up there. I mean, um, the most you do is um, is a couple of days during um, basic training. Um, which is what I do at the moment. I, I instruct um, the basic basic training, so I go up there uh, once a, once during a, a a program of recruits. And yeah, you don't do a, a great deal on Dartmoor. It's more the uh, the Marines that pretty much live out there um, from from Bickley and stuff. They're always up there. So sadly, because <laughs> I, I would like to spend more time up there, but no, uh, my. Uh, you know my job's at sea, so there's no reason really to uh, put me on on land like that. Really, <laughs> yeah. Surely, if anything, surely they want you to to lack energy so that you don't have to get itchy feet to kind of leave the boat um, when you leave the harbour. Uh, well, you say that. Um, Do they have gyms on boats? Um, yeah, certain. It depends on the size of your ship. It depend on what equipment you have. I mean, I, I'm quite lucky. I'm, I'm on. I've been my last two ships are the, the the bigger ships, so we had reasonable decked out area for 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 exercise, um, especially as we got you know a lot of Royal Marines on board ships, and they, all they do is fizz. So 
um, you know, we had treadmills, we had bikes, we had a lot of full-on weights and all sorts. So we're quite lucky in that respect, where the smaller the ship, there's not really a lot of room. So you may get a little set of weights, you may get a treadmill or a rowing machine, maybe. Um, otherwise, you're running around the upper deck if that's if that's possible. Um, so it all depends really on what you're what you're doing. It depends on what what type of exercise you're able to carry out. Um, yeah, I was going to say because there, there must be quite a lot of fit guys on a on on the ship who are champing at the bit to actually get out and. Yeah, I mean, it's, it used to be, um, you know, when we used to run the old field gun competition, the uh, the command where you have Plymouth, uh, Portsmouth and stuff at like the World, World Tournament, we had some of the fittest guys in the world on board ships, you know. Um, but obviously, they could they, they had to make do. It's like being in a lockdown. You had, you had to make do with a lot of whatever you had is what they would use to train to, to keep their fitness up ready for their, for their season. So mm, I, it's, no, it's no difference, really, to being stuck in a lockdown half the time. You do what you can. Yeah, I used, to, I used to live with an ex-Marine uh, when I was living in Poole and um, he taught me a lot about um, how to use a gym properly because I just, I, I only ever used the gym as a sort of injury prevention uh, tool when I was playing rugby, really. And um, he taught me to sort of take it to the next level when it comes to pain endurance and that sort of thing and tolerance levels because it was, it, it was incredible. Um his kind of resilience when it came to things like lifting weights. He was quite a small guy. Yeah. Lift way above his weight. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they can be quite uh, impressive machines, the Royal Marines, when they're mm. doing their physical activities. Mm. But that's, that's, we've mentioned obviously the lockdown and stuff. And um, that brings us uh, into obviously where I, I plan to go. And like most people, the pandemic was. Uh, it still is uh, pretty shit for many people, um, and it, it it couldn't have happened at a worse time for you and your family. Um, your other half found a lump in her breast and was diagnosed with a grade three invasive ductal uh, caramona. I think I've pronounced Cost, it. Right. Yeah, with, with ab abnormal. Yeah looking lymph nodes back in may 2020 is that correct yeah i mean we gave it a name we we, we called it we called it um edna as in as in the volcano yeah we thought let's let's make it real and let's make it something that's not scary so uh, and also it's a story to tell sarah and the five-year-old and we could say you know this is something that's here it's laying dormant it's come it's come to the surface and then it's going to go one day so and that's exactly what's happened so when you f when you found out, obviously, you know this this news. How how did you find it first of all? Because obviously, I can imagine, I can imagine how it felt for your for your other half and stuff. Because it actually, you know, she's the main person it affected. Yeah. But we were chatting about this earlier. Uh, as blokes, we don't really talk about this sort of stuff. Um, so how did it? How did how did you find it? How did it affect you? Um, well, first of all, um, we decided we, we, uh, me and Emily, uh, I'd say it affected us initially. I honestly would say it affected us in the same way because in that, although it's not, wasn't my body, um, we were a team and we were going to treat it as a team. And, um, you feel when you get the news like that, 
you feel sick to the stomach and it's exactly the same as anyone who's been through that situation will tell you we've got family um it's exactly the same as if they say it's you it's no it's no difference when you get the news because you know you feel sick to the core it's it's their life but it's also you it's your life because it's your loved one it's the person you've committed your life to and um we decided whatever the news was going to be that we were just going to be positive about it and we were going to treat it as though it's just a challenge and an obstacle to overcome no matter what the news was and yeah the news wasn't great um but we took it on as a challenge and yeah we did have a couple of days where well it was probably more than a couple of days to be honest where we felt not for six and um pretty low but pretty quickly we both decided to um treat it as though like say like like a challenge so edna would become something to live with um so yeah that that was that was nasty for both of us but then um i was very lucky um in that i did all the research um because emily it was too much for her to, to, to also take on all the research so i knew the odds i knew all the repercussions i knew the risk of various operations um i did a lot of research which to be honest helped me because i could chuck myself into it mentally um uh, sometimes it was a bit overwhelming and i had to take a backward step but i felt that was my contribution to do the research that emily couldn't do um uh to take some weight off her and then lastly i think i you know i probably became a little bit i was probably a bit of a pain in the ass to be honest because whenever she spoke to a consultant i'd be on i'd be listening in and chipping in with my questions and um yeah so i probably was a bit of a thorn in the side but we decided to be proactive because i looked at all the um uh the sort of 10 common characteristics of people who recover from cancer and the overwhelming things are one is to be proactive so you don't just take at face value what a doctor says to you you do your own research um another one is to be positive uh as soon as you decide that you're going to treat it treat again it's taking stuff at face value if you take it face value and it's negative um you're not gonna you're not gonna recover very easy as easily so but also it's about looking for opportunities and there's so much out there now um there's so much information there's networks there's support groups so we discovered force who were a counseling group which which didn't help with the recovery but it did help on an emotional level um for emily and for seren so Emily got some great support there. And so did my five-year-old who was doing play therapy. Um, and um, that became particularly uh, important you know, when we got the news that Emily was um, uh, BRCA1. So she tested one for the, for the gene, which is ge genetic mutation, which meant that, you know, that that's this is all double whammy really, because it's something you can pass on to the kids. Um, but we also decided to take that as a challenge because, you know, all sorts of people have all sorts of genetic mutations and might not be aware of it. And um, it's something that one day they'll find a cure for. And hopefully that'll be in time for our kids, you know, um, uh, you know, 18th birthdays. Um, and um, uh, so, yeah, again, we took that, in a, in a in a, as a challenge. So obviously you mentioned, um, obviously you spoke to your, your uh, your eldest child about it this this whole event came not long after the birth of your second child wasn't it yeah so um 
so Emily had a really traumatic birth, like a, a, a cesarean of category one. And, um, you know, the little one was, was lucky to, uh, to see the light of day at the end of it. But so we, we felt very lucky to have a, a little, a little baby at the end of, uh, end of it all. But yeah, that kind of kick-started it probably. And, and um, it was soon after that she got diagnosed in March um, after giving, having given birth in December. Um, sorry, November, <laughs> November. Um, so um, uh, yeah, there was, uh, Emily's been for a lot, you know, she went through that, just a traumatic childbirth. We moved house at the same time uh, into like a shell of a house in Lod as well. Uh, where which everything needed doing from like top to bottom but we were so lucky we had some incredible support from friends um, who came and helped they helped us paint uh, they helped us um, you know um, strip the walls they helped us uh, do the skirting boards they helped us all sorts of things we had help with um, which which was just so supportive and we had friends bringing us meals round. so all of that to be honest, that kind of love was kind of overwhelming. Uh, uh, at times it was just um, so supportive. It felt like it gave you strength. Um, I mean, it sounds almost cheesy to say, but it's so true. Uh, it gave us a lot of strength and resilience. So we didn't just do it by ourselves. I'm saying we all the time here, but it's really Emily. It's Emily's journey. It's Emily who went through it all. And I, and I, I was often on the sidelines feeling a bit helpless um, you know, if you've ever been at the uh, side of your your partner when she's giving birth, um, it's a bit like that because you do feel a bit useless. You know, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, there's, um, only, uh, there's only keep blowing. There's only so many times you can say that, isn't it? Before she wants to punch you in the face. Um, obviously, obviously, this happened during this happened during the pandemic, during during the lockdowns and stuff like that. What? Did you find you, you mentioned you were going off and doing your Dartmoor six hundred? Did you find that was helping you you to give you a bit of bit of bit of space sometimes, a bit of me time, a bit of thinking time, and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah, it really did. Um, uh, just getting out on Dartmoor um, was very, very therapeutic, um, and and it, and it always has been. Running always has been. It's always come back with a clear head. Your problems don't go away, but you just look at them in a different way. Um, yeah, the Dartmoor 600 also became a sort of goal-orientated thing as well. I became sort of slightly, maybe slightly obsessed with it, to be honest. But um, uh, yeah, and, and, and actually, subsequently, I was talking to somebody yesterday, it was a psychotherapist guy, he was talking about flash processing and running. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, it's, it's basically the, 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 the process of, of, of running. You're using uh, both sides of your brain on both sides of your body simultaneously. So if you've got a trauma, a traumatic experience um, uh, that you can summon or think about for a while and then just let it go um, and then go for a run, you're subconsciously processing it. And, and, and while it doesn't necessarily mean you'll come back with a eureka moment, go, oh, yeah, your problem's gone away. It will. It might bring something to the surface that you hadn't noticed or it might just make you feel better about something that you previously felt bad about. And so I do think running is a very therapeutic thing. I don't think we've even hit the uh, tip of the iceberg uh, when it comes to um, running and therapy, to be honest. So how is Emily doing now? Um, she's great. Uh, she's looking a lot healthier than, than I am, um, especially in the morning. Um, she's uh, 
you know, um, her blood count's good, um, the lump's gone. Um, she's recovered mostly from her chemotherapy, although there's always side effects. Um, yeah. And uh, she, when she was told she didn't know, need radiotherapy, um, she's had it after the double mastectomy, um, you know, which we didn't know how that would go. That went really well and they didn't find any more traces. So we're just, yeah, fingers crossed. We're, we're hoping um, that, you know, it, it's gonna be a happy ending. Um, but yeah, Emily's, she's back to run. Well, she has been for a few runs because um, she always used to run um, and she's on the exercise bike a lot. She does a lot of yoga and she eats extremely healthily. So yeah, she puts me to shame. I wake up in the morning looking like a 70 year old man sometimes and she looks about 30. She's the one who's had chemotherapy. At least, at least she doesn't have to worry the the issue that my dad had after his after his cancer treatment. He can only grow half a beard now because he had a, a a tumor on the side of his nose, um, and now he can only grow half a beard, which oh. is really weird. Um, but at least she doesn't have to deal with that side of things. Yes, and I'm surprised you didn't shave your head in solidarity with her. To be honest, <laughs> well, I was going to. Uh, and I offered to, Emily wouldn't let me do it. So she did a friend, she got this great friend called Jenny and um, Jenny uh, had no reason to, other than uh, support for Emily, shaved her hair off the same day as Emily. And Emily said, I'm not letting you shave your, shave your hair off because I, it's why I fancied you. <laughs> <laughs> fair one. Uh, yeah. So I said, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely, because of it, you definitely don't look like a road runner. You've got to keep it. Otherwise you might end up <laughs> being mistaken for one. Um, so because of all this, I hear you're planning uh, on running a marathon barefoot to raise some funds for Force. Is that right? Yeah. For Force, a little bit about that. Yeah. So Force, I, I touched on it just now. Um, that they're, So they're, 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 they rely on public donations. Um, uh, they're affiliated to the Royal Devon and Exeter Hospital in Exeter. Um, and, and they provide uh, counselling um, to, to people who've got cancer and family members as well. And I wanted to support them because they were so good with Emily. They were so good with Saren. Um, I wanted to check my, do my bit, do, do what I could. So um, I thought, what can I do? Well, during the pandemic, I did a lot of uh, barefoot running because we weren't allowed out, were we? Yeah, so, yeah. so I used to run around uh, Bulbury Down barefoot um, every other day. I always did a bit of barefoot running, but not as much as I did then um, uh, during that period of time. And so uh, you strengthen your feet quite a lot. And you realize I just got further and further. And I got to the point where I was running, I could run 16 miles barefooted. So I thought, what shall I do? Oh, I'll do a barefoot marathon. Shall I aim for a time? Yeah, let's, let's see if I'm doing three hours. But then I decided that I won't, I won't give myself, I'll make that a secondary challenge. Because if I say I'm going to run a marathon, a barefoot marathon in three hours and don't do it, I'll fail, haven't I? I set myself up for failure. Whereas really all I want to do is raise money for force. So let's say I'll run a barefoot marathon and if I can run it in three hours, I will. And where, where, where do you plan on running this marathon to? Um, it's, uh, it's actually a really easy uh, uh, terrain. Um, it's the, the university playing fields in Exeter, the sports fields. I don't know if you've ever been there. They're, they're just over a mile round in circumference and the turf is lovely. They're immaculately looked after. So it's not gnarly terrain. Do you know what I mean? It's not like running through the streets of Exeter or yeah. running through the circle. So, yeah, it, I've given, I've been generous to myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. Um, that sounds good. And when do you plan on doing that? 
uh, December, early December. Um, as soon as I get a good weather window and I'm not, and it's a weekend that I'm not um, putting on an event or a camp, which I think is the second weekend of December, either the Saturday or the Sunday, that's when I'm going to try and do it. Yeah. Excellent. That's good. Isn't it? So moving on, uh, obviously we, you got that in the books. Is there any other future uh, sort of running events or anything like that, that in, in that's potentially on the uh, pipeline for you? Uh, so, yeah, so I'm at that stage uh, at the moment where I deliberately rein in um, doing bucket lists because there's more important things. Um, family, keep the business alive. <coughs> um, and, um, uh, you know, the, the setting targets, running related targets is secondary. But, yeah, there's loads I'd like to do. I mean, who wouldn't want to do the UTMB? Who wouldn't want to do, um, I, want, I want to do the Yorkshire Free Peaks, never done it. Uh, I've always been injured or having a, you know, baby or being a dad, sorry, um, on the day of the race in one case. Um, uh, so I'd like to do that. Um, I'd really like to do the spine race. Um, and I'd, yeah, there's a couple of others that I won't mention that I'd like to do because it's sort of unfinished business. Um, but it's whether to go up or down. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have less time to train, so I should go down in distance. But of course, the sat, the really sat, the real satisfaction goes in going up in distance, doesn't? It, when you get to our kind of age, I don't know how old you are, Owen. Well, I'm I'm 43 now, so. Okay, so you're still a pup. You're younger than me. I am still a young lad. Yes. I like. Oh well, I like to think that. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got to kid ourselves, haven't we? But I was talking to a friend today, you know, and he's he's a he's a boxer. So he, well, he's not a boxer. He boxes, um, among other things. He runs a hotel for a living. And um, we were talking about how hard it becomes to know your boundaries in your 40s because you don't like to admit um, that you can't get better at something anymore. Um, and then, and, but once you do admit that to yourself, then you then have to go, shall I keep doing it? Or shall I just look for other objectives? Or shall I try and do something different? And he was trying to coerce me into... Uh, getting into competitive sailing uh, with him and I was kind of thinking well that would be interesting but I get quite seasick you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah that 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 one out you obviously don't have that problem no I I'm quite lucky I I've I've never suffered from uh, seasickness in in all my years of uh, working on the sea so I'm quite lucky uh, I know a lot of people that do but um, yeah I mean age it's it's a funny thing I mean if you look at Damien Hall he he was in his early forties when he 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 hit the top top three in UTMB, um, and he hadn't been running for that long, um, especially competitively. So, you know, it's 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 not it's not impossible um, for any of us to achieve what we want to set out and achieve. Uh, I totally agree. I, I I think that age is such a false barrier. I, I think um, I mean, look at Nicky Spinks. Yeah, uh, yeah. Damien Hall is a good example, but. But, but Nikki Spinks is a better example because she's, she's 10 years older um, and she's she's still breaking records. And she and she went to the Barkley Marathons in America. I mean, that, yeah, exactly. That says something. And she'll go back. She'll go back for more. But, um, you know, another example. Uh, but the, the, but there's, there's, there's so many, in, especially, especially in the ultra running world and especially female, um, you know, and, and I think it's partly because 
you know, um, women, when they're bringing up children, um, it's, it's so difficult to fit the, the, the training in. And then when the kids have fled the nest, they go back to it and they're just, yeah. they're still really, really good. Um, why aren't, okay, let's, let's, let's talk about women. Let's talk about men as well. Men, I think, um, that, the, the, I think, um, it tends to be a little bit more ego related. So I think with men, it's like, if they can't go on improving, they lose heart quite, quite quickly. And then they find something else to do, um, to a degree. Um, uh, I think, I think women maybe do it for different reasons and they just realize they're good at it. Um, and then just keep going and getting better. Uh, I can't speak for um, Nikki Spinks, but yeah, when you look at someone like Nikki Spinks and the things she's doing, um, it's incredible and it, and it is inspiring. Um, uh, uh, right now, especially uh, while working on the farm as well. She was whilst yeah. working on a farm, yeah, which is not an easy job to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Get everything in so exactly. I think. You know, and I don't think you have to live in the mountains. I mean, mm. um, you know, my experience of running the um, the Transalp a few years back where, um, you know, you're supposed to run in pairs, actually. But I had a couple of good legs on that run where, where I did go off. And I realized that you can uh, compete with the, with the really good mountain runners um, because you get stronger each day. Um, and there's some really good Austrian runners, you know, who, who were in their late 40s who were really good. Uh, and part of it is just... Yeah, in their case, it might be because they they spent all their years in the mountains. But a lot of them, a lot of them just had also very good techniques. They were using uh, ski poles, uh, sorry, running poles, but like ski poles. Yeah, yeah. Using them like ski poles to project themselves. And there was a certain technique they used, and it was it was highly efficient. It was interesting to watch. Cool. So that will now bring us on to um, as we approach the end of this uh, podcast. Ten quick fire questions. The questions are normally quick fire, but not always the answers, but we go with what we get. It's quite cool. Um, so if you're ready, first question, what's your favourite snack on the go, on your run? On a run? Yeah. Uh, I'm not a big snacker on a run. Um, I tend to put peanut butter on everything. Nice. Can't go wrong with a bit of peanut butter. Nope. Okay, do you have a favourite bit of kit that you'd like to take with you on, on in a race, on your runs? Um, favorite bit of kit would probably be, um, <laughs> it, uh, do, do you know, it's, it's definitely anti-chafe now. Nice. Uh, in later <laughs> life, I've discovered that uh, it's important. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Where's your favorite place that you've, you've run? It doesn't have to be in a race, but you've, you've run. Yeah. Oh, it's difficult. Um, probably, probably Italian uh, Dolomites beautiful lovely mountains pristine lakes to swim in uh really really gorgeous okay and your favorite ever race that you've done so far uh, i think it'd probably be the i really enjoyed um the felsman um because of the the like the support you got on the way some of the marshals were like young cub scouts they're amazing and camped out in all weathers and that was i found that really inspiring um, but probably the grizzly, because the grizzly is a bit like a travel experience. You know, they've got prayer flags, they've got proverbs, they've got people playing the bagpipes in the woods. Um, and, and then you've got Queen Victoria dressed up as a marshal. Sorry, a marshal dressed up as Queen Victoria. Um, you know, Sounds what, better the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Imagine that. Uh, OK, pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Oh, no. 
I know the answer to this one. Trail or road, which is your preferred? Yeah, you know the answer to that. Yeah, trail, that one. Okay. Dartmoor or the Southwest Coastal Path to race on? Oh, that's a tricky one. Because um, we're lucky to have both down here, so... Yeah, so if I'm not, so for training wise, I lived on both. I lived on Dartmoor. I lived in a little farmhouse um, near South Brent for uh, two years. And I also lived right on the Southwest Coast Path in Hope Cove. Um, and if I'm honest, when I used to wake up and go, to go, okay, which way should I go for a run when I was on the coast path, right or left? Those are my choices. Whereas on Dartmoor, you can literally go anywhere. So it suits my mentality to go that way go anywhere and just make it up as I go along. And I think that for me was more satisfying. Okay. Um, if you could run with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? Um, <laughs> anyone dead or alive? Um, blimey. Um, but, so they don't have to be runners? No, no, just you can go for a run with them, have a chat with them and all that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, right, well, I'd like to go for a run with Damien Hall, because um, I think he's quite an interesting bloke and quite chatty, um, but, but he's not, he wouldn't be my choice out of dead or alive people, he'd be my choice as a runner. Yeah. Um, but as, a, as an overall, somebody, oh, um, maybe Ernest Bevan. Okay. An interesting person. Um, Ted Hughes, Dylan Thomas. I'd love yeah. lo to have known Dylan Thomas. My granddad went to school with Dylan Thomas in Swansea, but yeah, I'd love to have... Um, uh, got a little insight into uh, his mind. I'd also like to have heard him describe the landscape. You know what I mean in his work. <laughs> I reckon it'd be quite an interesting run, and you probably you'd probably write about it afterwards as well. Exactly. Uh, um, have you ever run a park run? Oh yeah, I have. Um, I did one at Park, uh, but I've only done the one. Um, yeah, so far, but uh, I will do more as soon as um, I can coerce my family to come with me. And the kids get a bit older, yeah. Yeah. And do you like Brussels sprouts? Yeah, I love them. Especially. I thought, I thought our sides were coming towards Christmas now. Oh, uh, yeah, no, especially with uh, satay sauce, uh, soya sauce, peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, have you any advice for beginner runners? It, what advice would you give them? Um, don't listen to people who give advice. Um, <laughs> no, it would be it would be to learn from your own mistakes um, and um, really look at why why you want to run. Look look at your motives because I think a lot of people get into running um, and they don't really examine their motives and they go straight onto Strava and straight onto the extrinsic uh, uh, motivation. So I, I'd say find your intrinsic motivation and then that'll sustain you for much longer. Um, and then also experiment, obviously, experiment with your distance. It depends what age they are as well, because if they're quite young, so my niece is a good little runner. She just started out and she's already winning races, but she's good at quite a lot of things. So she could do a lot of things if she turns her mind to it. Um, but if she decides to be a runner, I'd say um, be playful with your running. Don't treat it too seriously. Um, uh, because it'll be the foundation for a lot of other sports anyway, um, even if you decide not to be a runner. If you decide to be a runner, look how many runners um, were good in their early teenage years and maybe later teenage years who didn't, who, who were no longer good uh, later on in life. 
So if you're talking about performance, I would say that I would say find a mentor who 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 will motivate you and you can learn from. And when you find that person, stick with them. Um, but if you're talking about just getting enjoyment from your running and, and that's that's the main basis of it, um, I would say be playful with your running. Keep it varied. You know, don't do too many intervals that are the same. Don't run the same route every day. You know, look for change. Because also that keeps you mentally uh, fresh as well. Definitely. Definitely agree with that. And uh, if people want to follow you on the social or find out more about your racing foes and stuff like that, where can they find you? Uh, my website, so uh, www.wildrunning.co.uk. Uh, I'm not very big on Twitter for whatever reason. Um, so I am on Twitter, but um, yeah, mainly that. I do too much on Facebook. I'm trying to wean myself off it. Um, but yeah, Facebook, Wild Running UK as well. Um, but yeah, just go on the website and you'll find all my events, um, blogs, podcasts as well. Um, yeah, some resources that, that you can use. I've interviewed some really great people. Yeah, you uh, just had uh, the legend that is Robbie Robbie Britton on, haven't you? Yeah, Robbie Britton. He was a chatty, uh, chatty thing. Yeah, he. I think we went on for about an hour and fifteen. I even edited it down, and it still ended up being hour fifteen. Yeah, he's, he's it costs more money because it costs more to host it when it goes over an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. He's he's a fabulous guy, and yeah, I've known him for quite a while. Um, but that's that's it really for the podcast, uh, Kerry. It's been it's been brilliant having you on. I'll, I'll obviously I'll I'll have a a little chat with you once once I've pressed uh, pause. But for the podcast, thank you very much, Kerry, for coming on. It's been great. Our oh, pleasure, Owen. Thanks a lot for having me on. So that was uh, Kerry Reese, and um, what a great episode. I thoroughly enjoyed recording that with him. Um, please, please, you know, get involved in some of his races, his workshops, all those sort of things that he lays on World uh, World Runners UK. So, um, yeah, go check him out. I've put the links in, in the description. Um, fantastic. Really enjoyed making that, and obviously I'm sending my love uh, to his uh, partner and family um i hope you know uh she she obviously um gets through the cancer treatment and everything else that she's uh having but no that was really really good uh but that's it for this episode um thank you for watching thank you for listening um please subscribe like share um just you know get it out there all that sort of stuff um it'd be fantastic if you do that um but until next time on if my feet could talk i've been your host owen the ultra running man and i'll catch you next time <laughs>